welcome to 1991 Movie Rewind, a podcast where we watch and review every movie released in 1991, from the all-time greatest classics to the critically panned and everything in between. We will rediscover forgotten fan favorites and uncover hidden gems as we explore the depths of direct video Join us in our celebration of the fun, unique, and diverse films of this highly underrated year. This week, we watched Hook. joining us on 1991 Movie Rewind. In Hook, Robin Williams plays Peter Banning, a husband and father who is consumed by his dealings as a high-power lawyer. Shortly after returning to England to see Grandma Wendy, his kids get abducted and Wendy believes that Captain Hook is to blame. Peter refuses to acknowledge that Hook is real or that he may actually be the Peter Pan from the stories until Tinkerbell takes him back to Neverland. Screenplay by James V. Hart and Malia Scotch Marmo, directed by Steven Spielberg, and released on December 11th, 1991. You've seen Hook before. Yes. I have too. Okay, good. <laughs> uh, as a kid, I didn't care for it. The, uh, I mean, okay, the, I loved it, but this is because I, you know, my... I just really loved Robin Williams growing up. So, like, anything he was in, I would watch, and I just liked anything he was in. I wa- I, yeah, I watched virtually everything that he was in as well. Um, yeah, I, I, I knew him from stand-up days. I knew him from, like, comic relief and all this kind of stuff. And um, So, yeah, anything and everything Robin Williams we pretty much watched. I think it just kind of goes back into the whole me not really liking period piece type movies, you know, things like elaborate sets and like frilly costumes and I don't know, like I, I also don't really care for the Peter Pan story and I know this isn't an adaptation of it, it's an expansion upon that, but I just don't care about Peter Pan. So it was just, you know, not something that appealed to me. Uh, watching it again, I can see why it's a fan favorite it's still not connecting with me at like a high level but you know like it, i i don't all of a sudden love the movie but <laughs> i i can definitely say i would like it more now as an adult than i did when i was a kid yeah for me it's about the same 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 level of enjoyment yes now versus then okay it's it's really well, weird because I, I was reading reviews and this did not get good reviews okay what were did you read the the criticisms to find out why like what people were saying one of the main reviews that i read was from ebert and he gave it two stars okay which kind of i don't know surprised me because i mean but when i was a kid i would give this like five stars or something <laughs> but i guess it was just like the adaptation about it was more of like him saying that adults aren't really like this like as extreme as Robin Williams was in the movie but he I just saw that um 
Yeah, and I didn't even read it after. I just saw he gave it two stars, and it was mainly because of the adip, like the old him, Robin Williams, or Peter Pan being an adult now. Yeah, the main conceit is that Peter Pan has grown up and forgotten that he was ever Peter Pan. Yeah. And he's now this very high-strung, super serious lawyer with a, you know, a wife. He's very... And two kids. Stressed out with his job. And and refuses the, to let his kids be kids, in a yeah. sense, too. So, you know, complete polar opposite of what Peter Pan was. Or, yeah, what Peter Pan was afraid to become. Or just all the kids on that island, I guess. All the lost boys. Yeah. And, I don't know. It, he's basically the exact same character that we saw regarding Henry. Yeah. You know, at the beginning. It's a, it's <laughs> I, I understand the critique because while I do think that there are definitely people who are like that, you know, like do everything right, like don't mess around, everything's serious, I'm very important, leave me alone type of a thing, that exists. But I think, I think the criticism is valid in that you take this guy Peter to this complete... Mm-hmm. And then, of course, he's going to have the redemption story and, like, learn how to become himself again. Um, I don't know. I, I think part of my problem with it is that it is very obvious. You know exactly what the story beats are going to be at any moment. Like, okay, yeah, he's not going to remember that he's doing this thing. And then, oh, he's going to have, you know, the introduction to the world and he's going to have this revelation and all this kind of stuff. And... You know where it's going, and it's a two and a half hour journey. So, yeah, I can see that. Uh, and I think also, uh, when I went on Rotten Tomatoes, it does not have a good review either. So I was just surprised. Well, do you have it up? Do you, like what's the split between critic review and audience review? So audience score is seventy six, and the critic review is twenty nine percent, which like wow. it's so that, that is kind of the surprise. I mean, I didn't read like the critics' reviews. I just saw that, and I was like, "Wow, people really didn't like this movie." But I mean, it's mostly people who I don't know. I don't want to. I don't know. I guess like little kids would be. Yeah, this movie's great. But yeah, you're gonna have a lot of people on Rotten Tomatoes who are. Who grew up with it before yeah, the internet yeah, yeah. and now going back and writing the reviews of it. Yeah. So the audience score is going to be a little bit skewed, I guess, in a way from nostalgia, potentially. But, I mean, this is definitely a well-made movie. You know, it's highly competent. It has a lot of the Steven Spielberg type of charm that you would expect. Yeah. Um, very elaborate in terms of, like, sets and... Um, like yeah, some of the special effects and... don't really age too well, but it's better than what yeah. we're going to see in a lot of other movies. Uh, yeah, costuming is, is really solid here, too. Yeah, but it is long, and it is a very obvious story. And honestly, I don't know, this is going to be weird to say, but I kind of don't know if Robin Williams is the best person to play this character. Like, on, really? the, on the surface, he sounds perfect. Because we all know Robin Williams and how goofy, crazy, funny he is. Yeah. Maybe it's not that he's not the right person. It's more that the script didn't allow him to do what we enjoy of Robin Williams more. Like, I didn't really get a sense that he got to improv 
anything other than maybe the insult battle The scene. insult part, yeah. But otherwise, like, he didn't get a chance to really let loose. He was confined to the script, and he didn't get to have his magic of Robin Williams shine out in this playful, joyful way. And when he was super serious as well, I don't know. Like, you, you knew it's Robin Williams, and so, like, that doesn't really carry the same yeah, weight. Yeah, him in his serious role, you can't you can't take it serious. Yeah. But he has done dramatic roles. He has, very Which are very good. And we've seen Fisher King, right? So, yeah. You know, like, <laughs> which is serious, him being serious and funny. And getting to let loose in both contexts. Yeah. So this one, I... I when he I was he just serious... Sort of, like, a bit. Yeah, when he was serious, it was kind of like over the top. Mm-hmm. Like over the top, just stressed out and like just being over the top mad and angry. Yeah, I wonder how much of it would have been script and how much it was that he couldn't... That maybe like he didn't he have a whole lot of time to prepare for this movie either. I don't know. Like, I, I know apparently he was not the first choice. No, because what I read, I don't know if you have the same info, is that they wanted Michael Jackson to do this. Well, Michael Jackson wanted to do it with yeah. Steven Spielberg um, years and years prior. Right, because in, like, 1985, that's when... Like, before a script was written. Yeah, that's, like, Spielberg was thinking about it, but he even said that he was being, like, the older parent, and he was being a bad father himself, so he kind of put it aside to spend more time with his kids. Mm -hmm. Spielberg. Spielberg. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and, and then, then I know that Kevin they... Klein was also offered, but he had to decline it because of soap dish. Oh well, I mean, he's, <laughs> so, he's great in soap he's, dish. He's great in soap dish, and I honestly think he would have been great in this as well. Because like, look at Fish Called Wanda, you know, like it's. Yeah, I, I can see that. Um, but I I can't see anyone else like Michael Jackson. No, right. but then they wanted that this to be. Um. A musical. Yeah, and I don't know if it was originally planned to be a musical in the theaters or just they were maybe going to have a um, subsequent stage show as well, like to complement it. Oh, like a play? Like to do. Yeah, like have this movie and then do a play. Tour it on Broadway as a musical version. Yeah, I, I, don't, I don't know. know. I'm not sure. There, there are a lot of songs that are trapped in a vault somewhere. Yeah, and I know they did, like, that, you know, the one song where the little girl sings. Uh-huh. And that just, that reminded me of the Fievel Goes West, where the sister is singing yeah. alone. Yeah. Like, it's the similar, like, connotation where she's singing the sad song alone. And similar wasn't she also too. in, like, a birdcage? Wasn't she, like, in a cage, the sister The sister, I don't remember if she was in a cage or not, or if it was just she was backstage at the... And just sadly singing. And yeah. And I, I, I thought she was but, in a cage, and I was like, this little girl's also caged. Yeah, she wasn't this. literally caged when she was singing this. She was, like, holding on to something, but she was mm -hmm. surrounded by pirates on the ship. But it's the same subject matter, too. It's the song called When You're Alone, mm -hmm. um, which was nominated for Best Original Song at the Oscars. 
even though we only hear like three that. lines. Yeah, and <laughs> we, they don't. We don't, pl- we don't hear the. Full they song. don't play it like at the end. No. Like how Fievel was like it. Fievel goes west. So it's tough to know how good the song actually is when you don't even get to hear like a full the chorus full and song. verse. Yeah, and but yeah, what, I, I, surprised what I heard, I liked a lot. Yeah. I just thought that was like a weird moment because that was the only moment where there was a song. Yeah, and so yeah, I mean, this this definitely morphed into a whole lot of different things. It was just kind of like everyone shut up and listened to the little girl sing. <laughs> I, I I thought it was going to be a situation where Hook was going to like learn and grow quiet. a heart because um, of Maggie singing, and but it didn't turn out that way. No. By the way, I mean, um, aside from Robin Williams, which again, I think on the surface seemed like good acting or a good choice for the role, but I don't know. It, it, something's off about it for me. I think Dustin Hoffman is also kind of in that same category, but it works better for him. Like, Dustin Hoffman as Hook is a really weird choice. Very, very strange. But I also read that Spielberg had Hoffman in mind to play Hook, like, from the very beginning. He does a great job with it. Yeah. Although he does rely on the fake teeth a lot. Like he puts a lot of his personality into his wig and makeup and the teeth that he's wearing and everything. And that f- voice. Yeah. Uh, he was... He was but, giving me Bane voice. <laughs> uh, yeah, sometimes, I guess. I don't don't you think so? <laughs> I don't know. He wasn't whispery like that, though. But he's, like, good for all. Sure, sure. But it's just weird to think of Dustin Hoffman I do as, like, think, a super villain yeah, in a way. I don't yeah, know. But, but I think Bob Hoskins is, like, to me, like, the best cast, casted person. It, in, so, yeah, Bob Hoskins is Smee. Is Smee. Captain is Hook's right-hand man. Great. Yes. Although I will say that I do think that one of the things that kind of hurts this movie a little bit, possibly is that they rely a lot on the Disney visualizations when they're doing the casting and costumes. So, like, Smee looks like the cartoon version yeah. of Smee. Yeah. Tinkerbell, played by Julia Roberts, looks like the cartoon version of Tinkerbell. When Peter Pan grows up, he has the same, like, frilly, green, whatever... Yeah, the tight ...leotard or, thing. Yeah. And Captain Hook has the exact same outfit. So... I mean, I'm not familiar with the books, obviously. I know I, that like a lot of the stage plays probably took inspiration from the Disney stuff as well, but maybe it was part of illustrations in some of these original publications before Disney came about. Yeah, I, I don't. I, I never don't read know. the books. All I know is the movie Peter Pan, and then this. I've never yeah. watched any of the other Peter Pan renditions. No, and I never cared to. It, yeah, like it, except for maybe seeing. Um, I think I saw the play like on TV, like a PBS, like a Sandy Duncan performance type of a thing. Maybe I think the Julie Andrews. Okay. Version. So, but I mean, even even the room that they're in. Right it, when they're in England and, and yeah, everything house, looks similar. Everything looks exactly like. What and you I think see that's what they wanted to do. I know, but it, I don't know. It, it's it it makes it feel derivative, even though it's supposed to be honoring it. I, it's a weird hang up in my own mind. Perhaps I don't know. 
But yeah, I, I liked Bob Hoskins as Smee the character. I liked that he had some depth and range and he wasn't like a pure villain all the time, but he yeah, was yeah. mostly but villain. Yeah. But that's kind of like how Smee is. Yeah. And I think the only place it really breaks away from the Disney side of things is with the Lost Boys. Because one, you're adding a new character, Rufio, which I don't know if he's a fully new character. But I he's, think he's a new character. He's new compared to what was in the Disney movie. Yeah. So he might be in some of the novels. Yeah, I'm not sure. Because, I mean, when Peter Pan leaves, did Rufio, he was like, okay, I'm in charge? Or did Peter Pan say, you're in charge? You know how at the end when... I don't know if Peter Pan intended to leave that first time when he met his wife, Mora. He, because he's like, I'm gonna give her a kiss, and he's like, No, a real and kiss. And then he's like, and stuck that just there. meant that yeah. just meant he's stuck there. So yeah. then Rufio is probably just they probably like fought it out, and Rufio won. Maybe, yeah. And he's their leader. Yeah. But you have a huge band of Lost Boys now, not just a couple that are in the Disney cartoon, and they're not in like pajamas. Now they're in like actual. Lord well, of the, the Flies type the, war Yeah, gear. the kids that were in pajamas were like Wendy's brothers. But they were considered like the Lost Boys, right? For a couple days until Wendy was like, no, I want to go back home. So, yeah. I'm just <laughs> saying, I'm saying that's the biggest derivation, right? That's the biggest change between Disney Is that they're Neverland. not in pajamas? And, yeah, and well, that there's like hundreds wearing... of them now. It's, it's kind of like... Well, they are they their even... own thing. It's kind of like Lord of the Flies, which yeah. is sort of reference. Yeah, and Lord of the Flies probably took a little bit of inspiration from Peter Pan, perhaps, in, yeah. in the idea of having a world of just children, um, but took a much darker turn in <laughs> Lord of the mm-hmm. Flies than this. So you have Rufio, who gets a really good, badass introduction. Yeah. And I love the set of the Lost Boys hideout. It's massive. There's tons of like ramps and, you know, vehicles and things and I mean, as a kid, I was thinking like how come they didn't make a Peter Pan land like at Disney World? Mm. Kind of like this Lost Boys set where you got like I know they have the Swiss Family Robinson thing where right. it's like that's kind of like similar, I guess. But yeah, they could have like, like a little skate park for the Lost yeah. Boys at the bottom, yeah. That's what I was thinking. How come they didn't have a, like some sort of area like that? I don't know. Like well, Universal Studios or... In the early 90s, early to mid 90s, they could have had that. That would have been a cool thing to do that I would have wanted to Dis- go to. How much did Disney really have involvement in this, though? Like, I think, I, I think this was separate from Disney. Yeah, it's not so, Disney. But, I mean, they could have... Yeah, I don't know. Because I know it's Steven Spielberg. But what, they could have, like, collaborated or something. I don't know. Yeah. I don't know... To make a Lost Boys world. I forget how soon after he formed DreamWorks, but maybe he was already kind of, like, entrenched in the Amblin Universal world, and then, you know, they don't play nice with Disney. Especially in the theme park space. Um... So yeah, Rufio gets a really badass introduction, and you get a whole bunch of other kids in there. And that's that's the best part, and I wish we got to see more of some of the other Lost Boys. 
Yeah, they only show about five or six of them that they really focus on. And the yeah, other one, like the two other... of them have like prominent roles. You got Rufio and Thudbutt. Like, yeah. Those are, I mean, the rest of them, like, you have to go to the credits to you look You have up the their little names. kid, the one that's. The little. Yeah, the little kid who's like, oh, there you are, Peter, by smushing yeah, his face. Yeah, smushing his face around and, like, flattening his skin out and taking out his wrinkles to be like, there you are. I mean, he was kind of. Yeah, it was a there. nice little moment. And he argued to say, oh, yeah, this is the Peter Pan, he should stay. Then you had, uh, there was at least a couple of other, but you don't know their names. Right. Yeah, unless you go on until you go, Yeah, until you go on IBB, and some of them are called, there's Good. Don't Ask, don't which, ask. like, when did they even say his name? They said it once. I was okay. listening for All it. All right, and then there's two he's, small... He's the guy with the tie. He, yeah, yeah, yeah. He had some acting work as well. Um, James Matteo, he'd been in Hero with the... He's... Dustin Hoffman, and he'd been in Band of Brothers and Basketball Diaries. He's, so he's in this um, HBO show that was like, I used to be obsessed with it, and I went down like a rabbit hole. It's called Life Stories, Families in Crisis. It was kind of like um, like an after school special. It only lasted like a couple of years, but he was in one where he played, and they're all, each episode is about a real life event. So he played um, this kid uh, named Joey DiPaolo who got AIDS at a young age by doing some sort of heart transfusion. Okay. So he got AIDS, and then it was the whole entire episode is just about him being bullied because he has AIDS. Hmm. But then it's just kind of... Uh, each episode is kind of like just bringing awareness to these... Hot topics, I guess. Okay. This was in the 90s? Yeah. Because I remember him from that. Because I remember watching all of these. And then there was like... And then the first episode was with like Callista Flockhart, where she plays someone who has an eating disorder. Like, each episode is just, you know... But it has all of these sort of famous people now. Like, there was one with Ben Affleck... Who he played like a football player who was addicted to steroids. Okay. And then there was another one with Sam Rockwell. Like I, I used to be obsessed with this for <laughs> some, like, but it only lasted like a couple of years. But well, I used it was like an after-school special thing. Like I would watch them, and that's how I learned about these topics. Okay. But well, I remember him <laughs> about the kid who had AIDS. And so how... it's like a Ryan White fictionalization. Yeah. Well, anyways. Yeah. <laughs> I just remember him. But yeah, they do say don't ask once okay. for him. But yeah, you have other people like Too Small and Latch Boy. Latch Boy and then No Nap. And I was no like, nap. who who were they, though? And then someone by the name of Pockets. Pockets, yeah. There's... Uh, yeah, I don't know. Because they don't really say their names except for... Rufio and Thudbutt, and I guess don't ask. I think it's a missed opportunity. I think they spend a little bit too much time with Captain Hook, to be honest with you. I think they spend too much time. Yeah, my favorite part is when the Lost Boys are teaching Peter Peter Banning to be Peter Pan. Yeah. 
and that's only like over what like 10 minutes yeah and you have good actors like you could I, I, part of the conceit of the movie is that you only have three days to prepare for this epic battle yeah. so like Peter gets to Neverland he introduces himself to Captain Hook in a sense by saying hey you have my kids I need my kids back and Hook doesn't believe that it's actually Peter Pan because he's he looks old like him. yeah uh, and then Tinkerbell has to intervene and say, oh no, don't kill the kids. We're going to keep this war of the century on that you've been... The reason Hook intervenes and even captures Peter's kids is to force him back to Neverland to kill Peter Pan as part of this war of the century, the war to all but what, end, okay. end all wars. Wouldn't, and so now Peter's back. Wouldn't Hook know that Peter Pan is now older because he has kids? I don't know how much they know about how things work on the outside world. He knows how to infiltrate it clearly, but I don't know how when long he's allowed his to daughter, stay. Or what I don't know. When his don't da- even in the be- sort of in the beginning, it's as if Captain Hook is looking into that room night by night, and because his daughter says, "Oh, you the window washer guy." Yeah, the window washer guy stole the baseball. Yeah. Yeah. So, he was looking in. We're assuming. It could have been Smee, because we see Smee... At the end, at the end well, we being like a Smee. is like a janitor. Well, it's Bob Hoskins, but It's yeah. Bob Hoskins, but it's not... Yeah, we don't know for sure if it's Smee. Who's, like, and, sweeping the gardens. That's another thing end. that kind of bothers me about it, is, like, they almost set the movie up so that it could all just be a fantasy... You know, you could yeah. have, like, a Total Recall situation. You could have, like, a Fried Green Tomatoes where, you know, is it edgy or not that's telling the story, right? Yeah. Um, because he's calling out for his wife in multiple occasions. Moira, bleh, Moira never comes, you know, but he's, like, clearly drinking. He has alcohol in his hand. He's stumbling drunk. And mm-hmm. then he's at this open second-floor window... And, like, it could either be a nervous breakdown or that he's dying, and then all this Neverland stuff is, like, a nervous breakdown vision. Oh, or, you know, like or... it never really... Yeah. He never really went to right. Neverland. Right. He just dreamt it. They could have set it up that way. It looked like they were setting it up that way. Okay. And then the ending completely says, nope, that's... Like, Fuck That's all. out the window. <laughs> because Toodles... Yeah. Toodles is off to Neverland again. Found his marbles. As an 80-year-old man. <laughs> and Smee is there, but is it really Smee? But yeah, it's probably fucking Smee. Um, all's well and good. Yeah. So, I wish they would have left some ambiguity in there. Because it was setting it up for there to be some. Like, yeah, to be, like, what you said with regarding Henry, but not, like, he wakes up and he's like, okay, I'm going to be a good father now. Yeah. Because I had this blackout dream. Yeah, Christmas Carol type of a revelation. Or, again, just keep it totally up for debate, like a Total Recall thing. Yeah. You know? But, it, yeah, and then it doesn't, well, I think the reason, it's, this is for the kids, and you want things to be magical. So you see at the end with Toodles, I mean, in the beginning of the movie, he's like, I lost my marbles. And that makes you think that he's, you know, literally losing his mind. Right. But he's actually looking for his marbles. And, and Peter gives it to him. 
and that's his happy thought. And this is the other thing. So were the was there pixie dust in the bag? Possibly. Because you can only fly if you have the pixie dust. It's either that or yeah, there must have been. And he flies off to Neverland. Mm-hmm. And then I was like, well, he could be the leader, even though he's like an 80-year-old man. <laughs> but whatever. There's a lot of moving parts in this movie. It's such a such a long one. It takes about 40 minutes to get to Neverland. Well, yeah, I'm fine with the pacing of this like i wasn't it's not a super long two and a half hours it doesn't it doesn't feel like it most of the time but there are some sequences where it's like okay can you like we don't need the mermaid makeout scene right like that's that was weird to save them i think that was just like a callback because there's they're trying to do a callback to the peter pan movie because there is a mermaid scene in peter pan yeah but you don't need it here but how does he they would have to show him being saved from you know falling off the plank or whatever to his supposed death yeah they could show, I don't know. well they could have shown I, one mermaid kiss him to give him breath maybe or air yeah i'm just saying there's some longer sequences i think there's also some far too many cameos that are shoehorned into this thing too yeah that drag things down you got David Crosby in there a couple times as one of the pirates who says stuff. Uh, you have this scene with Jimmy Buffett and the shoe-stealing pirates when Peter first arrives. Okay, so yeah, when he first gets there, yeah. When he goes, when Tinkerbell's like showing him how to act like a pirate. Yeah. I mean, that's funny, though. There, there was, a, yeah, when he, when he gets dressed up as a pirate, yes, there is a good joke in there. After he finally gets dressed up as a pirate and he says, oh, and then the other guy's like, how are you doing? I'm good. Yeah, that that part's funny, but I'm. It's the part where. Some of the lead up, yes, is not. Where they introduce Captain Hook and he's doing this whole spiel, like, who who here denies me or whatever, or. Yeah, and and that's another cameo, right? Yeah. That's that's Glenn Close, who's put into the boo box. But that that's also a funny sort of thing, too. Like, it leads to a funny thing. The boo box. Yeah. But it's, it's I guess it's just longer to set it up to whatever the joke is supposed to be. Yeah, it, it really slows everything to a grinding halt to get to that spot. So, I don't know. It... The other cameo that I can mention here is we have George Lucas and Carrie Fisher supposedly on a bridge. That doesn't actually eat up any time because that's when Tinkerbell is taking him away from London into Neverland for the very first time. Yeah. And you can't see their faces. You just happen to know that they are them from trivia yeah. online. Uh, and I think the credits specifically. No, maybe they don't mention them in the credits. I don't remember. I think it was uncredited. Yeah. So... A lot of cameos in here. Phil Collins is the inspector. Inspector Good. I mean, that's the only credited thing because he he has Glenn lines. Glenn Close and David Crosby are both credited because oh, okay. they also have lines. That I know for sure. So you have, uh, yeah, like, I don't, I, I really don't understand the point of the uh, Phil. I don't know. 
What, Phil Collins is the inspector coming in to... Yeah, like... Like, help find the children that are going to be missing? I don't have or a problem missing. with the, the, him... I don't, I don't have a problem with the inspector character existing. I have a problem with, like, all these weird cameos. I think it's just, like... It's... Steven Spielberg's awkward. like, hey, let's just get a bunch of friends together and make a movie. I have no idea. Yeah, but it kind of ruins the... Like, the fun? Yeah, and, I also, mean, and a... also just, like, the engrossment of it. Like, how can oh. you get immersed in this thing if you're just going to find a whole bunch of random cameos and be like, oh, hey, look, it's Glenn Close in a beard. You know? Yeah, I don't know. I truly don't know. <laughs> I mean, as a kid, it didn't bother me. I didn't care. And you probably didn't notice some of them either. Yeah, I didn't know who these people were. Yeah. But I, I will say that, you know, Phil Collins doesn't really look like Phil Collins in here. I mean, now he, I he know that's does. him. Yeah, I'm he, like, oh, that's Phil Collins. Like, immediately. He does have the mustache. But it's like all the people seen. who played um, the pirates, you can't really tell. No. Yeah, I, I, would not, I would not have known it as Glenn Close as a kid, nor would I have really cared that much. Jimmy Buffett, I still don't really know which one he is, because I don't care what Jimmy Buffett looks like. I don't I, I don't know who he is. So, <laughs> yeah, he has a song that a lot of people like that I don't. <laughs> right. <laughs> so, he, has, he has a chain of restaurants. Yeah. Like he, he's made his money. I don't have to, I don't have to adore him. <laughs> so... Um, I don't know. All right, well... <laughs> we're going all over the place. I don't think we're going to do a lot of the plot points themselves. I don't know if we really need to. We're I, just talking about Randis. Here's what I will say as well. All right, so you have the the two kids, right? You have... I've, yeah, the kids are also great at kid actors. I mean, we got Charlie yes. Corzmo again. Yeah, Charlie Corzmo is here again. We've seen him in What About Bob? A great kid actor. He plays Jack who is taken under the wing of Captain Hook because at one point Smee's like, here's the best way to get back at Peter. Make the kids love you instead. Yeah. You know, here's, mm-hmm. here's how you keep them here. Get them, to, get them to love you. And so, you know, he teaches a class, like, here's why parents hate you. And, uh... And you have Maggie, the daughter, who's just like, I don't believe you. I love my mom. She's always like, I love my mommy. Yeah, Amber Scott plays Maggie Banning. Which is really I, her only major role. She yeah, did like a little bit of I like a think, documentary work type, huh. of, like a like a reenactment type of a thing once, and then that was it. So I mean, I really liked. She was kind of like another Thor Birch. Yeah, just really a good young actress. Yeah, definitely. What I'm confused about is after she gets her F in that class and sort of gets taken away. Mm-hmm. We see her singing the When yeah, You're Alone song. Yeah, but where is she after but, that? Yeah, where is she otherwise? She's just kind of like, she's not at the baseball game. No, the, I thought not, she was just like locked up because she's not yeah, it, complying with Hook and Smee. And we could have seen that. Yeah, her trying to ask for help or scream for help or something. Right, because we never really see that. We don't see Jack trying to convince maggie that this is where they should be you know we don't see anything like that maggie's just kind of gone for a while until she's needed to go back home that's when she appears again yeah at the last fight so that's another problem i have with the movie is that they kind of get rid of (laughs) the little girl and yeah and a major motivation obsolete or whatever 
And Jack is the main <clears throat> and thing. And they're, like, focusing mostly on Jack because he's easier to sway. Yeah, he has a tense relationship with his father already because he's trying to be a kid and his dad won't let him and his dad is too busy to go to his baseball games and so Captain Hook sets up an entire baseball game for him and all this kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, and then Jack gets to dress up as Captain Hook and he gets to smash a bunch of clocks, including the one that his dad gave him. Yeah. Yeah, what about that clock that his dad gave him? Or the watch, I guess. It was never mentioned afterwards. I mean, it was meant to be metaphorical, obviously. But, uh... Yeah, but... He could have been like, Dad, I ruined your watch. Sorry. I don't know. (laughs) I think they... Yeah, I I think they grew past that in terms (laughs) of their relationship. So... I don't know. It's, and Jack is the reason that Peter flies, right? Seeing Jack being born, like remembering yeah, whole, that Jack was yeah, the born, whole part that's where, his happy place that okay, allows him to fly. The parts that did bother me was the whole Tinkerbell. I know that, I mean, in the movie, she's like secretly in love with Peter Pan. She has mm-hmm. his crush on him. But why even show that at all in this movie? They spend a lot of time on Tinkerbell's like, unrequited love for Peter Pan. Yeah, a lot of time on it. It's yeah. it's a conduit to the the background pieces. You know, like when Peter is a baby and he runs away from his mother in the carriage down the That's hill. That's where I was laughing. I was like, how did he realize that he wanted to run I think the the carriage just like fell backwards on a hill and then the parents were like I don't give a shit. Right, you're like, okay, I guess my baby's gone. Yeah. <laughs> and that's when Tinkerbell finds him and saves him. So yeah, he's like on the wet concrete with rain pouring down. And yeah, Tinkerbell's holding a leaf above his head and stuff like that. And then takes him to Neverland, I guess. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> it's such a weird thing. But I guess <laughs> I guess babies can grow up to a certain age. While well, that's why I was like, once you're in Neverland, you can't age. So, but he aged. So he you aged can, to whatever period. What, like fourteen? It's something. like the 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 oldest you can be is like fourteen or something, yeah. and then you just stop. I but guess. I mean, all the pirates are adults, so I don't know how they get there. How they how get they the became age. well, yeah. those pirates like in the. Fr- in the Peter Pan movie, those pirates, they come to Neverland. They're they're from, like, somewhere else. They just, okay. like, drop ship okay. onto Neverland. That's why the Lost Boys, like, want them out. Gotcha. So, yeah, he was a baby. Maybe Tinkerbell took him back and forth periodically to let him age up and but, grow and then come back or something. But how, know. though? I don't know. How, did, how does Tinkerbell do anything? <laughs> Because it's magic. She becomes like a light bulb that flashes around people's heads and that's, you know, or she hides in I don't hat. think so, because they show him when he's like six years old and then like maybe 12 years old coming back and kind of playing with his shadow and that's when he finds Wendy mm-hmm. and he starts this friendship with Wendy until Wendy is like... Wendy's too old. I'm a grandma now. I can't play anymore. Yeah, Wendy, like, jumps back and forth between Neverland as well. Yeah, she goes... I mean, in the first... In Peter Pan, in the Disney movie, Wendy is taken to Neverland until Wendy is like, I want to go home now. 
Yeah, but the movie, this but, movie says that they basically go back and forth. Yeah, they go a few back times. and forth. So, yeah, that, that's probably in the books or whatever, which I never read, where yeah. maybe she did go back and forth to visit Peter Pan, but she didn't want to live there, like, permanently. Right. So, so she had this friendship with Peter Pan. Yeah, until and then um, she grew up and she had. She grew up and had children and then grandchildren. Which they don't really say in this movie, though. I don't think. It, they they insinuate that she never married. Oh, really? But they also... So you think that her children and grandchildren are... Just the orphans that she Orphans, raised. yeah. Because yeah. that's... Like, her family took in the orphans or... Yeah, yeah orphans and adopted them so i think one of the because i think even pieces... like isn't toodles like technically adopted into her family she's yeah like toodles is also one of the orphans yeah but i think the book insinuates that they are married oh her and toodles, toodles and wendy are married i could be wrong about that i read it off of imdb and i don't remember anymore right so um you know take that with a grain of salt but in this movie, I don't think she's married to anybody, and I don't know if she had her own kids. She's just always dealt with the orphans in her life. And, and those are her kids, and then her Probably kids, to make it less creepy, because if kids. it was like Wendy's daughter, Moira, who married Peter, that'd be kind of weird in a way. I don't know. Why? I don't know. I, I don't know. <laughs> but... It's you think that, like, like because orphan. Wendy and Peter... Like, yeah. had this sort of yeah. crush on each other. Right. Like, it's implied. Yeah. yeah. But I don't think it was reciprocated at all. No, there all. was never a real kiss, because otherwise he wouldn't have been... Yeah, he would have been with back. Wendy. So. I think they just had, like, a really strong friendship. I don't, I, I don't know anything about the books. Me either. It... But... I, I will say this, though. Again, but I do know that, like, Tinkerbell is jealous of Peter Pan and Wendy's relationship. Like, their f bond that they had. Yes, and obviously very jealous of Moira. Yeah. The real-life wife. In, yeah. Well, real life. <laughs> yeah, her, the real wife. <laughs> the real wife, played by Caroline Goodall in this. Uh, who hasn't done a ton. She's been in, like, Schindler's List as well, with Spielberg. She hasn't been in White Squall. Uh, and also Princess Diaries 1 and 2, credited as Mia's mom in both of those, which is a weird way to credit somebody. But mm -hmm. um, And she's like barely in this movie. She's barely in this. Yeah, she's there to just be kind of to like... To kind of nag Peter. Well, not really nag. She's, like, she's in the right, but... Right. She's just like, can you talk to your child, please? Like, hey, save your family before yeah, yeah, you yeah. save this business deal. Like, do you really need to work while we're on vacation? Like, she's saying valid things. Yeah. This is such a recurring theme with 91 movies, isn't it? So we got Regarding Henry, we got, like, Bare Essentials, and now this is, like, the exact same type of, like, business mentality. Yeah. So. And every single time, it's, it's the wrong way to go. 
And everyone learns. Always dealing with mergers and acquisitions. Yeah, I know, right? And <laughs> you have because uh, he's the corporate lawyer for mer- and then I'm and he's afraid I of still, flying planes. And, I, I know, and I still don't even know what mergers and acquisitions <laughs> is. Just combining two companies into I just, a nice it's, happy I'm family. I'm like, why right? was it such a thing in the mid to late 80s, early 90s? Oh, it's 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 become so much worse since then. I mean, uh, um, oh, but yeah, then, you have like the yeah, you have him in the early scenes being like you know walking with a bunch of people following him, you know that type of tropey thing. Yeah, and then they do this weird cell phone bit, like yeah, cell phone battle. Like, I don't know. I think that's to show that he's having more fun with his work people than he is with his family. family. He's more willing to goof around with them than than he is with his son. But. Yeah. Where were we with everything? Uh, Uh, So, yeah, the wife doesn't get We're just going. Yeah, the wife doesn't. Yeah. She's there to care about the kids. And, but so is Wendy. Uh, (laughs) But Wendy's older. Yeah, if we... I think we just get to the part where Peter finally finds his, finds out his happy place. Mm-hmm. And the part, I guess, where I think went too long was the whole thing between Tinkerbell and him. Where she makes this wish where she wants to be big. Which, how long was that going to last? Because she's small a little bit later on. Yeah, I just didn't understand that. Like, why that could have been cut out. Like, I don't... Yeah, I don't need to see them realize the love right so yeah like tinkerbell she... kisses peter and yeah then that makes him realize oh i love moira yeah and that's when he thinks about oh i'm a dad oh I, me being a dad is my happy place because there's a small little part in there where once he learns to become peter pan he forgets the real world he forgets his adult stuff and he forgets that he even has kids yeah because he's now immersed with the lost boys but then shortly after Tinkerbell kisses him, that's when he flashes back to his wife and is like, oh yeah, that's right. And he's like, I gotta save my kids. And then great. I'm a dad. And that's when he realizes his happy thought, happy place. Because he can do everything except fly at that point. And that's, mm-hmm. they're trying to that's teach him how to thing. fly. And they're like, think of happy things. And he's like, me not doing whatever it is I'm doing right now. Yeah, like just coming up with me. on this slingshot type thing. Yeah. Yeah, there are a lot of good scenes with the Lost Boys, and I wish there was a little bit more of that. I wish they yeah, my favorite through that more. part of the movie is like I just want a whole Lost Boys side movie. There probably is from Disney animated side of things, but well, I don't want animated. <laughs> I wanted like a live action, like more Lost Boys stuff, like so, with their food fight and yeah, like, you have the, the fake food. You know, it's it's non-existent until Peter believes that they're actually eating, and you know he wins the insult fight. And then all of a sudden, yeah, the, food the insult is real again. fight and, and super colorful, and everything looks like paint that can be mm-hmm. eaten. And this just them battling each other, and then just um, other simple things yeah. too. Like when they go to the baseball game, they're there to steal Captain Hook's hook, and so you have you know the again it's a trope of like two kids on each other's shoulders. Dressing up like adults. Yeah, <laughs> you know that's that's like cute though. Yeah, I like that. And then I was I was thinking like, how come movies don't do that now, where a kid is on another kid's shoulders dressing up as an adult? Yeah, they don't do like. When was the last time? So overdone at this point. I don't know. 
It was I in like so. every single cartoon. Yeah, I know up. it's it in, in cartoons, like, but I think last like, time I can think of it being done is when it was like dogs on each other's shoulders trying to go into a grocery store for a commercial. Oh yeah, yeah, but they don't have kids. <laughs> that was like five years kids ago on kids' shoulders. No, I don't remember that. It, that was probably like a '90s, last time in the '90s thing. Um, but then you have things like when they're prepping for the war, and they just walk through the environment and automatically the armor's on them. You know, stuff like that. Yeah, really and then neat. the contraptions that they use to fight with. Right. The chicken egg the, gun and the marble shooter thing. And yeah, all the pirates are all kind of like scared of these little kids coming at them. And you, like, I mean, that's that was fun. I, I think they did a good job of focusing on. And then thud even Thudbutt doing this cannonball thing. Yeah, the Thudball, where he just like rolls. It's clearly like a fake. I mean, obvious. Yeah. <laughs> His legs go up, all the way up into his chest, and he rolls forward. Yeah, and then it cuts to, like, a bouncy ball. Yeah, I mean, that's funny, still. <laughs> yes. I mean, it's obviously fake, but it's still funny. Right. Like, that's that's where the movie shines, and there isn't enough of that type of, like, fun and fancy yeah, free Yeah, that's attitude. why I want, like, more Lost Boys stuff. Yeah, instead you get the the ruminations of Captain Hook, who's afraid of what he's become and what's going on in his own mental yeah. state and you have you know this way too long learning curve of peter understanding how to be a dad or how to be peter pan and you know it just kind of gets yeah. dragged down in some of the human elements that are supposed to be good but they're just too obvious and not as fun and then you have, you know, again, stuff that you expect to have happen. You see very beginning when they arrive at Neverland that there's a, a giant croc statue with a clock in its mouth, and that's the crocodile that, that stole Captain Hook's hand. hand. Yeah. And he killed it and stuffed it and put it in the town center. And what do you know what's going to ultimately do him in? Who could yeah. ever imagine, right? Um, it's a nice set piece. But again, it kind of takes too long to get there uh, to the point where the statue falls on top of him and we assume he's gone, but we don't actually see him Yeah. after that. I mean, at that point, Peter has his kids and then they go automatically just... Well, he takes... He tells Tinkerbell to take his kids back home. And that's when he appoints... Well, in the midst of all this, yeah, poor Rufio, Rufio nice dies, battle. which... But he does have a really good sword battle with, with Hook. Yeah. Most of the battling in this, though, is bad. Like, the, you know, the sword fighting scenes between Hook and Peter Pan are just not well choreographed. They're just, you know... It's very lackluster action until the kids get involved with their gadgets. That's when it's good. The Rufio and Hook battle isn't too bad, but... Yeah. You know, the main thing between Peter and Hook... Just like you know, it lasted like two seconds. Yeah, and the because then and they're just like you know, slapping their arms boys. around a little bit. Oh, I don't know, they're two old men. I have no idea. <laughs> right, but I don't know. There's so much thought put into everything else. I wish there would have been like more swashbuckling. Yes, and then yeah, poor Rufio sadly dies. But that that scene is like two seconds long too, where. Rufio is just like, I wish I had a father like you. 
And then it just looks over to Jack. Mm-hmm. And that's when Jack is like, oh, I love my dad. <laughs> like, oh, I don't know. Yeah, I, I wish, yeah. I wish I had a father like you. And then he dies. And I'm like, oh, okay. And But then that's it. Mm-hmm. And, but, so Peter Pan has to... Well, Peter Banning has to appoint a new leader. And he gives it to Thudbutt. Yeah. Rightfully so. Because he did everything. He wasn't just the Thudball. Yeah, he, he did just, like, like shooting that the paint gun, gun thing. Yeah, he was doing all the he, he was He was involved in all... He was in the center of the action. I think the only other thing I'll say about this is that I think some of the early dialogue was a little bit too cutesy for me. We never talked about Bangarang, how that was such, like, a catchphrase in this thing that never really caught on outside of this movie. I don't know if it was meant to, but... No. <laughs> everything that was, like, cool was Bangarang. Uh, like how... I mean, nothing caught on from Bill and Ted's like bogus journey, really. Station? Yeah, who who said station? Just people referencing the movie. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I think the only time people said bangerang was just to talk about this movie. Like, I never screamed bangerang. <laughs> no, but it's just interesting that it was so prevalent in this. But, um, yeah. but some of the earlier dialogue is just way too cutesy and again just alluding to stuff that we already know is going to happen you know like Peter telling his kids grow up when are you going to stop acting like a child and you know, oh I'm, you know yeah. Wendy saying oh so you become a pirate huh when learns that he's become a lawyer and um, I don't know that's the the people who whatever. are you know sending him off the business people when he's getting on the elevator and he's saying how he's going to take a flight and he's like oh don't forget to flap your arms and stuff oh, like yeah. that oh yeah I mean that's cheesy but I don't know the wife like <laughs> get him here by hook or by crook I'm like okay yeah it's a hook okay got it and the doorknob yeah, in the just kids like making, room is a hook yeah okay. they're just making all these references like, yeah yeah it's just, it's just too much it's like every other sentence is stuff like that that happens anyway I think we covered most of what there is to cover. I, again, the magic and the the effects. Well, okay, my favorite, my new favorite. Nana. Oh well, yeah. <laughs> well, I don't want to say. Well, we didn't even mention Nana, but yeah, Nana's just the same as in the cartoon. Yeah, I'm okay with Nana being the same. There are a lot of people who get the same type of dog over and over again. So yeah, it's okay but naming it Nana because yeah. I mean Nana would have been a hundred years old. Yeah. Nana buries the cell phone. Yeah, but I was just going to say my favorite line, my new favorite line is now kill the lawyer. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, because Rufio is... Uh, like kill... Rufio is antagonistic towards Peter at the beginning. Yeah, but he's like, kill the pirate. And he's like, I'm not, I'm a, not pirate, a pirate, I'm a lawyer. And they're like, kill the lawyer. <laughs> and I want like a, a t-shirt that says that. <laughs> Even though I probably would be like killed for wearing a shirt like <laughs> wear that at your log log job yeah um there are some good lines i i just wish again robin williams was maybe allowed to interject a few more because we know he's fully capable of it but he didn't get to play in this playground that was clearly set up uh, the magic and the effects in the movie you know pretty okay some of it doesn't age very well you know, some of the green screening stuff. But honestly, I think it gives you, like, a good mix of everything the era has to offer. You have, like, green screen stuff. You have painted backgrounds of, like, the aerial shots of him flying over the 
the islands and whatnot, and you have like really good, nice, practical sets and stuff. So it's it's pretty good. We got a lot of cast though to talk about. So let's let's quickly go through some of this stuff. We got Steven Spielberg as the director. He, this is really weird. Okay, so he won an Oscar before he won an Oscar for any of his movies. So he won an Oscar, the Irving G. Thalberg Award for creative producers whose bodies of work reflect a consistently high quality of motion picture production. So he won that in 1987. So he, he, he didn't win it for like Close Encounters. He didn't win it for like AET or anything. He won this honorary award in 1987, really before he hit his like major, I don't know, I guess you could argue multiple primes for Steven Spielberg, but you know, he did also win an Oscar for Schindler's List a couple of years later for both directing and producing. Uh, he won for Save and Private Ryan as well for a director, and he's been nominated a bunch of times as well for either directing or producing Close Encounters of Third Kind, Raiders of the Lost Ark, E.T., Color Purple, he was nominated just as a producer there, Munich, Letters from Iwo Jima, War Horse, Lincoln, Bridge of Spies, The Post, and West Side Story most recently. Emmy winner as well for Band of Brothers, and also daytime Emmy winner for Tiny Toon Adventures, Animaniacs, Freakazoid, Pinky and the Brain, all those types of good stuff. Not his best work, but it's still pretty quality overall. Uh, J.M. Barry, who wrote the novel slash play, this, uh, the first adaptation of Peter Pan was in 1924. He's most known for that, of course, but he's also written some other things that have been adapted multiple times called Half an Hour, and then also Mary Rose, which is like a murder mystery type of a novel, I believe. James V. Hart, one of the writers, he's done a lot of varying type of projects. So he has Hook under his belt, obviously, Bram Stoker's Dracula, Muppet Treasure Island, Contact, Sahara, Tomb Raider. A lot of variants in the stuff that he writes. Malia Scotch Marmo, we'll see uh, another one of their movies in 1991 called Once Around, also known as Rich in Died. They also did Madeline and Good Morning Karachi. Dustin Hoffman will see in Billy Bathgate in 1991. He's an Oscar winner for Kramer vs. Kramer and Rain Man, and also nominated for Graduate, Midnight Cowboy, Lenny, Tootsie, Wag the Dog. Bunch of, bunch of Oscar nominations for him. None of them are for uh, All the President's Men, which is weird. He does have an MTV Movie Award win for Best Comedic Performance for Meet the Fockers, though. Oh, jeez. <laughs> He's also been in things like Straw Dogs and the Kung Fu Panda series. Uh, I'm going to skip over some people that we've talked about before, Robin Williams, Charlie Carsmo, Julia Roberts, we've all talked about before, although I will say that in terms of this movie, Julia Roberts was the only Razzie nomination for this movie for Worst Supporting Actress. I can see it. Her performance was not great in this. Uh, I mean, I don't know if you read this, but she was having a hard time on set during I did, this yeah. Uh, and they this called is like her... a big, big point in her life with the Kiefer Sutherland stuff that was yeah. going on in her personal Which, life and she also didn't get to act alongside anybody she was just kind of like in a room probably yeah they had to, another reason why they spent so money so much money on the sets was they had to make things oversized so make her look small in a lot of things yeah and, and it looks good I mean the set the is fine I think I mean, she was fine in the movie. The only thing I didn't like was that whole I love you speech. It's just, yeah, it was too much focus on Tinkerbell. Yeah. 
Bob Hoskins as Smee. He'll be in the 1991 movies Shattered and The Favor of the Witch and The Very Big Fish, Oscar-nominated, and BAFTA and Golden Globe winner for Mona Lisa back in 1986. Also a Razzie nomination for Son of the Mask. Apparently he was in Son of the Mask with Jamie Kennedy. Okay. Weird. I didn't know he was in that, but um, yeah. And Golden Globe nominated for Who Framed Roger Rabbit. Maggie Smith played Granny Wendy. I didn't really know who she was. She was aged up for this. I think she was like in her 50s when she uh, played this 80-something-year-old woman in this movie. I mean, she looks she the looks, same. Yeah, she looks the same as she does now, so they did a really good job of aging her up. But it was But she makeup. looked the same as 50 as she does now at 80. Well, that's what I'm saying. They aged her up to be older in this movie. I know, and so, she looks the same. Yeah. Now. Yeah. <laughs> so they did a good job. <laughs> They made her look what she was going to look like when she was 80, I guess. She's an Oscar winner for Prime of Miss Jean Brody. That was back in 1969. California Sweet in 1978 as well. Also nominated for Othello, Travels of My Aunt, Room with the View, and Gosford Park. Emmy winner for Downton Abbey, three times over. Also nominated, uh, also a winner for My House in Umbria. She does have a Stinker's Bad Movie nomination, so not a Razzie, but a Stinker's nomination for Worst Fake Accent in Divine Secrets of the Yaya Sisterhood. I guess she was going for American and did not nail it in that one. Uh, but she's also been in the Harry Potter series as Minerva McGonagall and Sister Act 1 and 2 as Mother Superior, which is where I would have first seen her, I'm sure, as a kid. Yeah, I remember her from this movie, and then she was in the... Um... The Secret Garden. Okay. I never saw that either. The, she was kind of like mean in that. So mm. I always thought of her as being kind of mean. And then also, even in like Sister Act, she was also kind of like... She's very she, uptight, yeah. She was like the... Up, she always played like, yeah, the uptight person. Yeah. And I always thought of her as that. Except for like her in this movie, because she was just, you know, the grandma. Yeah. Uh, there are a couple other small roles I could mention. I mean, a lot of the, the Lost Boys did not go too far into their acting careers, to be honest with you. So, I mean, Rufio's. I yeah, mean, we got Rufio. I'll, I'll end with Rufio, I guess. Um, Phil Collins, we all, already mentioned, is Inspector Good. We got Rufio is one of the Lost Boys, Dante Brasco. I'm sorry, Dante Basco. My mistake. He'll be in the 1991 movies Perfect Weapon and The Hitman. He's been into such things as But I'm a Cheerleader, American Dragon, Jake Long, Avatar The Last Airbender, Star Wars Galaxy Adventures, and also several episodes of the MTV show Undressed. Yeah, I remember him in that. I don't remember anybody in that. I just remember liking the show. I couldn't tell you who was in it by name. There was a lot of... You'll be surprised of a lot of the people that were in undressed you're like oh this person yeah we've come across a few on this podcast already um and then the last person i want to mention on this is gwyneth paltrow who played young wendy in one of her very first movies uh, she was in this and then also in 1991 she was in shout the only other previous credit to her name was an unaired pilot from 1989 for a tv show called high that was not picked up that show was written and directed by her dad bruce paltrow and co-starred Craig Ferguson and Zach Braff, oddly enough. Uh, but yeah, this was her one of her first roles, if not her first role. I guess Shout would technically be the first released. But we'll talk about her more then when we talk about Shout. 
So that's about it. Awards. Uh, we already talked about the Best Original Song nomination, but it was also nominated for Best Art Direction and Set Decoration, and also Costume Design, and also Visual Effects, and also Makeup. Did not win anything. At the Golden Globes, Dustin Hoffman was nominated for Best Actor in a Comedy or Musical, but lost to Robin Williams for The Fisher King. And then it was also part of the MTV Movie Awards Best Hairdo's Fake Nominees Clip Montage. I'm assuming for Captain like Rufio. Oh, not Rufio's hair? Oh, yeah, it could be. Rufio did have better legitimately hair. Yeah. Uh, legitimately better I wanted hair. hair like that when I was young. But knowing that these fake nominees are usually jokes, oh, it could so have been Captain Hook's wig. Oh, like when his wig came off and he was bald. Maybe. Oh, one, one last thing I do want to mention, because we didn't really talk about this scene in there. Um, J.M. Barry transferred all of the copyrights to in the Great Ormond Street Hospital. They own the copyright to Peter Pan now. And uh, that is the hospital, I believe, that is mentioned when they do... The reason Peter is even in England is to give a speech at this event fundraiser for yeah, the hospital. orphanage, the hospital that Wendy works at. Um, so it's a, a real place. I think that they're using the same name. In yeah, this. yeah. And that's one of my favorite scenes in the movie when they have like, he's giving the speech and he's saying, I don't think we have a whole lot in common with each other. And then he talks about how wonderful Wendy has been to his life and how much she's touched him. And, you know, one by one, basically everyone like stands up and shows the impact of who Wendy is and, who she's helped. I think that was just like a really beautiful, well done scene. And I wish there was more of that type of stuff in there too. But yeah, I wanted to use that as an excuse to say, yeah, Great Ormond Street Hospital owns the copyright to Peter Pan. So even if you don't like the story like me, it's helping a good cause. Yeah. And they have the part where he, when he comes back from Neverland, he's in the Kensington Gardens. Which we've been to. That's the big park we went to sure. by where we stayed in London. And there's they have that Peter Pan statue and that's yeah, where he's he, under the statue. He's found sleeping underneath that Peter Pan statue. I think that's all we got there. We'll go on to true kind of pop culture. Yeah, so I'm just gonna go with this is TV slash music. And then I got a little bit of extra stuff if you don't cover it. Okay. So on December 11th, 1991, uh, that was a Wednesday, and it was the 1991 Billboard Music Awards. Mm. So I'm just going to combine TV and music okay. with just talking about who won what. Who won. And <laughs> I thought this was funny. It was hosted by Paul Schaefer. So it must have been on CBS then. Yeah. Or but was no, it would have been. It NBC was on stuff. Fox. Oh, never mind. No. Yeah, because so, Letterman was still on NBC at that time. That's pre comedy Yeah, I just I was like, he hosted that. Like I just never. He's a comedian on top of a being a musician. I just never seen him do anything besides be like the sidekick. Yeah, he's. If you I've watch really him... early SNL episodes, like the first five seasons, he's he's, he's in like there a little bit. I just but, never again, seen him musically. do anything. Like by himself. Yeah. 
But um, the big winners for this year were Garth Brooks, Whitney Houston, Mariah Carey, and CNC Music Factory. Hmm. And Garth Brooks won five awards, Billboard Music Awards, (laughs) for number one album, and then number one country album, number one country singles artist number one country artist and then number one country albums artist i don't understand like these categories it's has to be all based off of sales right it's not like actually voted on it's just the categories are so specific i just thought it was funny i'm like country albums artists like out of all all of the albums and then singles and that's making me think that out of all the time that we've been doing this, I only remember Garth Brooks's name coming up once. And I know that we focus a lot on bottom fives lately, but... Well, this is from music from 1990, though. But this aired, like, late December 1991, so... Huh, okay. So it was... I, they waited the, that long. He won something. for the album No Fences, which was released August 1990. Okay, and so no there's, fence- like, a... Yeah. Half and half, probably. Yeah, probably know. half and half, because I know CNC Music Factory was huge in 91, too. I know, like, Thunder Rolls has come up once, and I, I remember that because trying to pull the YouTube video for our website. Oh, yeah. That whatever probably whatever version I be- found was already pulled down, because, like, it's just Oh, that YouTube. was probably for, like, the beginning of the year, because, you know, Thunder Rolls and, you know, Friends in Low Places were, like, the big ones from this, okay. big singles from this album. And they were probably released... It, Thunder Rolls was released in 19, April 1991. So Friends in Low Places was released August 1990. Then it was Unanswered Prayers in October. Then January of 91 was Two of a Kind working on a full house. I don't know what. And then Thunder Rolls was April 1991. See, that's why I'm like confused how they release singles like six months apart yeah they slow roll them so it can just keep the name and the so like more sales come in it's like oh he's not making more sales so let's release another single and something like that so that's what confuses me about like certain singles being like so popular like a year and a half after the album's been released Mm -hmm. but i mean that makes sense during this time and so Mariah Carey, she won four awards for number one Hot 100 Singles Artist, number one album for her. That's her very first album, her self-titled one. And number one Adult Contemporary Artist, and then number one Pop Artist. Okay. And Whitney Houston, she won four awards for number one R&B album for I'm Your Baby Tonight. Which, that was released in November of 1990. Okay. This is like a year before, still. And those had, um, they had I'm Your Baby Tonight, All the Man That I Need, My Name Is, My Name Is Not Susan. Do you know these songs? See, like, um, the first single is I'm Your Baby Tonight, and that was released October of 1990. Then All the Man That I Need came out in December of 1990. 
Miracle came out in April 1991. My Name Is Not Susan was released July 1991. And then I Belong To You was released October 1991. Yeah. From that album. Yeah. So it's just the same thing. It's like every three, four months, Mm -hmm. let's release a single to get more sales. And she also won for number one R&B singles artist, number one R&B artist, and then number one R&B albums artist. And for CNC Music Factory, they also won five awards for number one new pop artist, number one hot dance club play artist, number one hot dance club play single for Gonna Make You Sweat, and then number one hot dance 12-inch single sales for Gonna Make You Sweat, and then number one hot dance 12-inch singles artist. Well deserved. I know. <laughs> I guess. I don't know. So, yeah, and then other winners were for Best Modern Rock Artist was R.E.M., and they also won the number one world album for Out of Time. Mm. And number one new pop male artist was Ralph Tresvant. Huh. And the number one country... So, okay... Garth Brooke won all these country awards, but the number one country single was for Alan Jackson's Don't Rock the Jukebox. Wow. And the number one world single, do you want to guess what it is? Brian Adams? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> so Brian Adams, Everything I Do, I Do For You won. And then this is cool. I thought number one new pop female artist is Kathy Dennis, and I've sort of talked about her before she's like another vitamin c yeah she secretly has she still like writes and produces music for you know like new pop artists now so i thought that was cool that she won okay i want to talk a little bit about hook in pop culture world okay because this was a massive movie it was number six in the box office list um, the bed, the budget was kind of big, seventy yeah. million dollars, but it made one hundred nineteen domestically, uh, three hundred worldwide. So it did pretty well for itself, and so that usually comes with merchandising. Um, you know, I didn't look this up. I believe that there were action figures for these. Oh, probably. If you want to double check my work on that, there was a board game that looks like a very very quick slapdash effort that does not look fun to play. Um, Tops released a 90 card trading card set. I almost said baseball card set just out of habit. I'm trying to get myself to not do that. So there, there is a Tops card set based off of the movie Hook, which does not feature Tinkerbell at all, I don't think. Mm. It could be that Tops did not get the rights to use Julia Roberts's image, perhaps. Hmm. Uh, I know that that sometimes happens with baseball players is that, you know, certain baseball players who are popular are not on some of the sets because they have to get individual rights from some of these people. Or maybe there was some other weird infighting with the studio or something that caused her to be omitted. But usually these sets tell the story of the movie to a degree through a set of 90 cards and pictures. 
It has to be kind of tough to do without Tinkerbell at all. But what, like Magic the Gathering? No, it's more like uh, if you put them together in a row and read the backs, they'll tell you the story. Oh, uh, okay. So it's sort of like a picture book in a way, if you want to think of it that way. Uh, and then this also had several video game adaptations. Uh, Super Nintendo and Genesis slash Game Gear slash Sega CD all got a certain platforming type of adventure game. The regular Nintendo and the Game Boy also got a version of this that's separate. It's also a platformer, but it's a completely different format than the Super Nintendo version, so it's like a pared-down type All of right. thing. Have so you played it? I have not played it yet. I've played through about 25% of the Game Boy library at this point, but I have not yet played Hook. Hmm. Generally speaking, the reviews of those games was about a 7, 8 out of 10, so I guess it's slightly above average. Um, and then it has a PC slash Amiga port, which was more of a point-and-click adventure style game, sort of like Monkey Island or Maniac Mansion type of a That's thing, cool. if you're familiar with those. And then there's also an arcade cabinet, which was much more of an arcade beat-em-up, sort of in the style of Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles or X-Men, where you could play as Peter Pan or Ace, Pockets, Rufio, or Thudbutt. Hmm. So, there you go. Oh, another thing, like, because I looked up the Broadway play, and they did have Peter Pan on Broadway during 1991. Hmm. From, I think it started in 80... Well, you know, they had so many different renditions. Yeah, I don't think it was using the same songs that John Williams and, I forget the woman's name, wrote together for this, though. No, this was uh, the music by Mark Charlap and lyrics by Carolyn Lee. Yeah, those are this different people that worked on this. Uh, the Peter Pan, this was from the Broadway, was from like eight, 1989 to 1993. And J.K. Simmons played Captain Hook. I can see that. And Peter Pan was played by Kathy Rigby, and she played Peter Pan for. 30 years. She was a gymnast before that, and she played Peter Pan for 30 years. So we go on to rankings and ratings, I guess? Yeah. Alright, on your 1 to 5 star scale, where are you going to put Hook? I'm going to give this a 3. 3? I thought you'd go higher based off of how you are talking earlier. Well... Did I talk you down a bit? No. Because, I mean, I compared this to Don't Tell Mom the Babysitter's Dead because I love both of these movies growing up, and I don't want to... If I was, like, 11, I would have given them five stars, but, like, certain things just make me give it a three. Okay. <laughs> yeah. It's not a perfect movie. It's, it's just... No, uh, I... Yeah, I have to, like, think, not think in my 11-year-old brain, like, yeah, this is great. Right. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, it's a three. I almost gave it a four, but I, I don't, it's not better, to me, this is not better than Don't Tell Mom the Babysitter's Dead. And I gave Don't Tell Mom the Babysitter's Dead a three, so it's got to be on the it's same level three. Yeah. as three. Yeah. And we do have all our movies ranked on the website in, like, full order, too. Yeah. <laughs> the best as we can. I'm sure it changes from day to day. But uh, on my zero to four star scale, I'm going to give it a two and a half. It is an above average movie. And that's about as far as I can go. Three is, I don't 
don't know. I think there's just a little bit too much trouble with the script and the plot and I think it was just kind of hampered and restricted which is weird because the whole point of the movie is to be free and be yourself and it, I don't think it was allowed to be uh, every movie is worth watching once would you watch this again yeah I would too uh, if if you were to ask 10 11 year old me I would say no I don't care about really? this I don't I, like it I mean I watched it a lot growing up I yeah I, I watched it the one time and I was over it I didn't I was not enjoying myself back then, but I enjoy myself <laughs> more now as an adult. Um, I I will say that um, online there's um, like a 25 year anniversary of like a behind the scenes with the Lost Boys. Oh, okay. I watched a little bit of it and it's only like 10-15 minutes, but it probably could have been like a something like on a dvd yeah it might have been like an updated or, yeah dvd release but i mean we can put that on the website and then yeah we'll link to it i found some clips of the 1991 billboard music awards on youtube but the quality is so bad that i don't even know i mean i can give you the links to put on the website but it's sadly bad and it's only it's like little all snippets, the right. yeah. It's just little. It's like fifteen minutes long, but it's like mostly all the performances. It was so it was like CC Music Factory, Whitney Houston, you know Mariah Carey, and then there's another clip where it's just all the clips of every time Mariah Carey won an award. <laughs> so it's like five minutes long, and it's like someone going Mariah Carey, Mariah. Carey. I, I thought that was kind of funny, but. The quality is so bad. <laughs> I was like, oh, I want to put this up, but yeah, you can't can really see. It. It's not, yeah, it's not our thing, so we can we can link to it. And if you guys want to watch it, go to our website and you'll find it there. However, if you want to watch Hook, as of this recording in August 2022, it's available on Stars, digital rental, VHS, or DVD. As always, check your local listings. As for us, you can listen to us on all your major podcasting platforms. Please remember to rate, review, subscribe, and tell your friends. It does help us out a lot. You can email us at 1991movierewind.com. You can email us at 1991movierewind at gmail.com. Follow us on Twitter, Instagram, Letterboxd, and YouTube. Just search 1991movierewind or go to 1991movierewind.com for the full list of movies along with show notes and more. Next week, we're continuing our family friendly fantasy <laughs> extravaganza <laughs> with Motorama. That's available on Prime, digital rental, VHS, and DVD. We will see you.